Welcome to Design Your Life, a podcast where we explore applying design principles to everyday life. I'm your host and founder of Frost Collective, Vince Frost. My next guest in the Ozmaker series is a very inspiring individual who's constantly striving to better the world in which we live. Once a lawyer in a boutique firm in Melbourne, Abigail Forsyth decided to change career paths in search for something different, something with more purpose. Alarmed by the amount of disposable packaging being wasted, Abigail began her search for a more sustainable and environmentally conscious way to serve food. In 2007, she took the bold step of designing and manufacturing her own reusable cup. Two intensive years later, the Keep Cup brand was born. Since its inception in 2009, Keep Cup has gone from strength to strength, becoming the leading figure in sustainable, reusable coffee cups. And we've had the great pleasure here at Frost of working alongside Keep Cup, helping them with their recent packaging rebrand. Welcome, Abigail. Obviously, we've we've known each other for a little while um, because uh, of the work that we've been doing together. Uh, of the, the re- redesign the packaging which we did last year I think it was but obviously your reputation has been going on for a very very long time and uh, I understand Keep Cup is is it 10 years old now? Probably uh, 2009 so 11 years old 11 years old uh, <laughs> and still going strong and um, what I wanted to t- talk about firstly was just kind of understanding a bit about your, your life and um, what makes you you and mm-hmm. I understand from your early years you were born in Glasgow. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, I'm a good Glaswegian girl. Wow. <laughs> now my my dad was a five pound pom, so he came out to Australia when he was twenty one and fell in love with my mum, who was a girl from Bacchus Marsh, which was in the country in those days. And then they went back to Scotland after they married and spent the first I don't know five or six years of their marriage in Scotland. So my my brother and I were born there. And then I came out when I was only three. So I had a Scottish accent in kindergarten. And oh, that's cute. Became pretty Aussie after that. Oh, cool. that's a nice story. Um, do you go back at all? Yeah, I lived there and I lived in Aberdeen in my 20s. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, dad, dad likes to go back every year just to see it's all still there. But his family all came out to Australia. So um, it's really going back to the, the countryside. And he, mum and dad actually took, I've got two brothers. And we've all got families now. And we all, two years ago, we all went to Scotland and had a holiday there with our families, which was lovely. So he's kind of passed down his love of country to his grandchildren. Oh, wow. That's nice. That's Pretty a nice, sweet. nice reunion. Yeah. Um, your father and your grandfather were entrepreneurs. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. What, what did they do? So my mum's father was, um, God, he was all sorts of things. So he, was a, he grew up in the Depression in Australia, so he was a chicken farmer and a plumber and <laughs> oh. just a guy, guy who just did things. Mm-hmm. And um, my dad was uh, um, in sales and he worked out in the sort of, sort of been the 70s or the 80s that the stuff that when computers were as big as rooms, that the stuff that they were throwing in the bin he could get out of the bin and roll into new ribbons. So he started making ribbons in Australia. So oh, sort wow. of a similar, yeah. There's a similar, there's a similarity there about identifying something that's going in the bin and then turning into something else. So yeah, yeah he ran that business all through my childhood, and then he sort of then he sold it when you know that office supplies and computer consumers was merged into one one thing. So was it your father that taught you about sustainability? I don't know. Like, I guess I've never really positioned myself as a sustainability. Person, it's more like I, I, I saw a, I saw a problem and wanted to fix it, and and then the deeper I got into the problem, the bigger I realised the problem was. So um, I think there's always been a sense of sort of you know you buying once and buying well and using things wise, like being efficient with your time and your resources and and a, and a love of the natural environment. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess it's all those things colliding that, mm. that drive me. And is it true that you were practicing as a solicitor earlier on? <laughs> yes, I was a solicitor. So I did. Yeah, I did a did a law degree, and then um, didn't did not really enjoy that. Didn't you know that my friends joked that I'd turn up to the corporations law exam with a with a textbook with highlighter pen in it, like I'd never even read it. <laughs> 
But then I got a job in a really small law firm and then the guy I was articled to was, a, he, well, he, he's my lawyer now, but just, you know, taught me a lot about, um, I guess, the, the being rigorous about things and, and a disciplined approach and, mm. and I, yeah, so. I should have sensed all steps that. in the journey. Yeah, yeah, I should have sensed that earlier on when we were negotiating contracts with you. <laughs> it, it was quite, it was quite rigorous, justifiably so. So um, that's good. That's good to use that skill that you've got there, and and also mm-hmm. I understand that you started a chain of cafes with your brother. Is that right? Yeah. So I was working as a lawyer, and every week Jamie Jamie was working in the UK, and he'd call me up and go, "I've got an idea for a business." Like he just wanted to start a business. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of them, like one of them, I remember was a veterinary supermarket. And I was like, oh "My goodness, what do I know about?" pets and vets and I mean, it would have been a good idea actually yeah huge now and then he yeah and then he saw Pret-a-Manger in one of them mm. and I thought oh well I, I really like people and I'm a great cook you know how hard could it be so we we started blue bag um and it turned out it was really hard <laughs> <laughs> and and and, the, and those two skills aren't probably the number one skills we need to run food business so um but look we did that for 10 years and we ended up with wow. six stores at, at that's the high point of that journey. Ah. But it was, it was tough. tough. It's a tough industry, the food industry. I mean, do you think any industry is not tough? I think I'm kind of realizing that yeah. business is tough. Uh, stop. T- yeah, for sure. But I think it's about matching what you're good at with the industry. So if you're a bit misaligned, you know, I'm not very, you know, food businesses, you have to have, re- you have to be really process oriented and so much of it's cleaning and, you know, managing people. And if you're not really that disciplined sort of manager, you're going to struggle. You know, I guess Jamie and I, both of us at our core are probably more creative souls. And so we're drifting off thinking about <laughs> different things, whereas you, you know, and so those skills weren't really aligned perfectly mm-hmm. with running food business. And so what was a turning point for you after 10 years? Uh, well, I was keen to get out and then, uh, I was, you know, when we started Keep Cup in the late 90s, it was just when coffee was starting to become like a thing. Yeah. <laughs> we really don't, probably don't even remember. Like people were, it was disposable cups were just being introduced. It was becoming a bit of a status thing. Um, people like I remember a lawyer coming into the shop and going, I, I feel like a baby drinking out of these paper cups. Like, <laughs> I, I, and then twenty years later, we don't even think twice about it. So yeah. it was becoming concerned. Like I could go into um, Blue Bag and just spend a whole afternoon breaking down boxes. Like the packaging you go through in a food business is eye-watering. Mm. So I started to think about that and like, gosh, if, if we've got this much packaging, imagine multiplying that over all the cafes in Melbourne and then Australia and then the world. Mm-hmm. So um, I was try- always trying to bring reuse into the store. And um, at the time, you probably, there was Ford's Wine. There was a wine business in Melbourne at the market, and they used to refill and wash the wine bottles. Right. So I went and looked at that, and then we looked at the salad containers, and then we looked at um, uh, – then we had the idea for coffee cups. And then – Jamie and I was talking about why hasn't someone done this before? Like it seems such an obvious solution to a problem that they're not recyclable. Um, and yeah, then he said, "Well, let's let's test it out." So we had um, soup, and in the winter of two thousand and seven, we got in some like plastic decor soup mugs, and we gave people fifty cents off if they returned and reused. And they, they cost us seventy five cents, so we were saving twenty five cents each time they did it. Um, and we had 15% of our customers returned and reused. So that was a big, gosh, there's a market for this if we, if we get it right. Mm. And, and I think that was sort of the turning point on the next journey for us. Did you test it just in one cafe or did you do it across all of them? Across all of them. Yeah. yeah. And you just saw an immediate um, interest in it. Immediate uptake, yeah. Wow. So it was a, were people, it was, I guess it must have been alien for a lot of people because I mean, even now it's just, it's, a lot of people are still – after all those years, and um, you know, keep cups being in pr- probably every single cafe in Australia, certainly, um, people still resisting it, aren't they? Yes, yes, they are. And what? Why is that? <laughs> I know it's annoying. It's because, frustrating because but. because I think that that um, convenience has sort of become an entitlement. It, it's become something we feel we can't live without. Mm. And I sort of I had hoped that this. I guess the COVID slowdown would 
I guess, give people pause to reconsider some of those assumptions we've been making about the importance of convenience in our lives. But it's sort of gone the opposite way in many ways. Well, I think, well, I'm not sure. I, th- I think that um, what, what we've experienced since the fires um, is a lot of people coming to us asking for advice on what to do and be more sustainable brands and businesses and experiences. So oh, good. I think that the, the, the COVID has created a situation where sanitization has been the issue where a lot of coffee shops have been saying, look, we can't use uh, a reusable cup. We have to use, we've been told by the government, we have to use a disposable cup. I think that's that's no reflection on Keep Cup, or I don't think it's necessarily a reflection on people's focus on sustainability. Um, yeah, I think it's a reflection on the plastic lobbying industry. Yeah, 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 well, it could be. Um, and equally, um, I guess for a lot of people, it's just still that not knowing is a is more energy go into uh, cleaning a Keep Cup versus a biodegradable coffee cup. You know, I mean, I know the answer, but um, maybe you should talk about that. <laughs> you want to talk about that? Yeah, I'd like to talk about that. <laughs> so, yeah, I guess how do I, in which order do I say it? So, yeah, using something once and for its intended lifespan is much better than you, like single-use items seem to me to be an easy target and a bit of a no-brainer in terms of material use and washing. Like you wash, you're putting stuff in the dishwasher anyway, so mm. what difference does it make? Mm-hmm. And then, you know, one of our, when we introduced the plastic cup, there's enough plastic in 20 disposable cups and lids to make one keep cup. So, wow. you know, over over a year, you use three kilograms of plastic using disposable cups. And then we've got the introduction of compostable cups, which are a much more... Um, if you look at the embodied energy, which is the energy to make something, so they're much more intensive in doing that. And then you're putting them in compost, and but that's a bit of a greenwash as well because they need to go into a specific compostable um, waste stream to go into commercial compost. Like they don't biodegrade in your home compost. No. And then if you really take that to to the, <laughs> you take that another step down the road. If we're thinking about soil degradation and that's a huge problem globally and we're going to fill our compost which is to, to reinvigorate our soils with cardboard and plant-based plastic so it, it doesn't make sense like you'll see when you get the, the bins from the council for organics they don't want compostable packaging in there because it wrecks the compost mm. so it's, it's sort of a bit of a not really solving the problem well, no, substituting one material for another yeah so where would you put that biodegradable Cups. I want they go in the bin, and, and there's lead, like there needs to be much more stronger legislative attention to, yeah. to where those things can go and how they get labelled. Mm. How, how did you come up with? I understand now how you, you came up with the idea for Keep Cup. Um, how did you come up with the name? I mean, for again, it's like it says what it is, but it's it's a genius name. And become it's a, a genius name. Yeah, yeah. And that, it's become the dad? name for the category. Was that your dad? No, your that was. was couldn't have been you. No, that was a, it was a designer. Oh, really? That was yeah. So we were um, working with South Southwest and um, Andy Sargent. Uh, we were brainstorming names, and they had all these names that they'd come up with for us. And we had three on our sort of top three list, but you know, you have that feeling it's not not quite right. Um, and then we had another meeting, and Andy walked in the door, and he goes, "I've got it," and we we're like. Yeah, what is it? And we're like, yep, yeah, you've got it. Like instantly, we're like, that's perfect name. Yeah. Was there a drum roll before he said it? No, but there was certainly a Hello! Oh my god, <laughs> goosebumps after that. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, that sounds cool. My god. Well, there you go. Design in action. Um, yes. And so it, I guess, was it easy to register? Yes, totally easy to register. Probably no one yeah. ever thought about it before. Um, no, and well, I think we've just we did we and then we registered like keep Tainer, keep cutlery, keep. We sort of went a bit crazy on the keep, but I think we've reviled yeah. from that, and then we'll just stick with keep cut. Yeah, and I guess the, the name now beca- has become synonymous with the whole industry. It's not. I mean, that does that annoy you in any way? It's like I remember with with <laughs> with pens, like they were called biros back in the old days in England. And in England, they still call them a biro, even though it's a big biro was a brand like a long, long yeah. time ago. It's a bit like Hoover. I mean, people don't have Hoovers anymore. They have, they have Dyson's. Yeah, it's just like synonymous with that. Um, are you cool with that? No, it's got its, it's got its 
um, pros and its cons, but I mean, it's better us than anyone else, I guess. Mm. I mean, we were first to market, so it makes sense. Yes, it's got its pros and its cons. And how many keep cups, have you kept a record of how many you've produced over the years? Not really. I'm not really a numbers numbers woman, but yeah, a lot. (laughs) Where's the solicitor in you? You should be like, yeah, 50 million. (laughs) Is, is, Is there, is it million? Yeah, it was a million, yeah. Wow. And then, like any big idea, uh, it doesn't take long before other people come along and start to um, do their own version of that. Um, did, did you see that as a good thing as well, or, or is, um, depends, is standard? Depends who it is and what it is and um, what the motivation is. So, like, if it's someone producing, uh, you know, a one brand I love is Kinto, the Japanese brand, and they produce a whole lot of, um, reusable items and they're beautiful and they expand the category and they give options in conversation whereas if it's a counterfeit from Alibaba, yeah, not so keen on those because, you know, ultimately the, the production is inferior. They don't perform like they should and so they drive inertia around the whole reuse movement. So anyone who's building, genuinely building the reduce and reuse movement, love your work and then others who are just capitalising on the um, opportunity, not so keen on. <laughs> mm. yeah, yeah. Because also, you know, you, we do a lot of the work, that, you know, to drive the cal- – you know, so I guess the challenge for KeyCup is probably the first, I would say, 10 years of our life, we were just up against – we saw ourselves as up against disposable cups. That was our only – that they were our competitor. Mm. And now, you know, so the, the product was the movement. The product was the campaign. Mm-hmm. And now there's a whole lot of products in our category. So then are we just a product company that's not quite as exciting mm. um, and innovative? So how do you how do you keep in front of that conversation? I guess is the challenge we've got moving forward. And you said earlier that you'd registered keep cutlery, keep this, keep that. Um, uh-huh. what, what have you uh, ventured into those areas as well, or have you have you stayed with the cups as your primary um, focus? We've stayed with the cups because we feel like I think that for one of the nice things about Keep Cups, and if you look back to 2009 when we launched, people felt very um, intimidated by sustainability. It was like you're either in or you're out, you're a greenie or you're not. And what Keep Cup did was try to open up that conversation to be really inclusive, to say, hey, you know, no one's getting this perfectly, but here's one thing you can do and here's one thing you can think about. And that really singular message then one had cut through so people got it like you get that one cup using one cup instead of using something throwing it in better like it's clear and then it sort of starts you on a journey of oh what else can I do and how else could I reduce my impact so um, I think that's been one of the advantages all the, that's, that's been one of the things that's excited me about the business and and continues to like helping people move forward on that journey so now it's getting a little bit complex i guess you know we're doing life cycle analysis and you know really having to talk around this, like different competitor products and different options and you know there's a chance that everything starts to get really muddy as well like i read a quote from david suzuki saying like we're all in a car driving toward a brick wall and we're all arguing about what seat we're going to sit in in the car like there's a bit of mm. how do you take some of that nonsense out of the conversation yeah i mean i guess uh, also you just um you've 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 been a great role model for for people for the earth for planet for uh businesses for women in business etc um has that got you a lot of attention a lot of pr and um speaking events and things like that? Yeah, I mean, I've done a bit of speaking and um, I think that's always good for the most, by and large, that's good for the business to hear someone, to hear the personal story of things and to hear, I remember, I remember doing a talk once at the university and this kid came up to me and goes, you know, forgive me for saying so, but you just seem like a pretty normal person. Like, <laughs> yeah. Little do they know. Yeah. <laughs> How funny. How funny. Yeah. Well, that's, that's interesting. People, I guess they build you up to be, you know, someone who's unapproachable or, or whatever and um, and you're very... Well, or they build, yeah, or they build growing, doing, like doing things up to be something, you have to be someone special to do it when, of course, we're all just ordinary people doing what we do. 
And so what do you think, that's a, that's a really good point. I mean, what do you think makes the difference between an ordinary person and a super ordinary person or a person that makes that kind of difference, that person that, like yourself, that sees an opportunity to do something which is adding value to the world? What does it take? I think, I think it takes a bit of naivety, like yeah. a bit of, um, I'll just fix, I, I just read um, Ronnie Khan in the Thin Review on the weekend and she said she thought she could just solve the food waste problem and then get on with her catering business. <laughs> so, you know, there's a bit of, I'll just, I'll just do that. So there's a, that. And then I think it's tenacity. Like it's just, you know, it's just a relentless, there's a relentlessness, I think, that drives certain people that they sort of lock onto a problem and, and, and keep going with it. Mm. I mean, it is. was it the, was it seeing that wastage constantly, did that make you angry? Or was it seeing the opportunity to, for, a, for a business um, idea to come out of it. A bit of both, but I think that seeing the waste, seeing the waste made me angry, and the the further deeper I go into it, the further angrier I get, and think, oh my god, like you know, you see these the big coffee companies, and they're doing innovation forums, and they're going to do this, and they're going to do that, and then you know, the, the the changes we need to make to our lives to to reduce carbon in the world are, are immense, like it. We can't be tinkering around the edges. We've got to make mm. some big, bold moves. Mm. So, so um, and these big companies have the, the ability to do it. Just, I find it really frustrating that they don't have the courage have the courage to to make these changes. I don't know what. I mean, I've never worked in big business, so I don't really understand the impediments of all you know the vast numbers of people and the decision making process. But you know, I think you know, as a creative, you know that. It's, it's, it's parameters that, that drive often drive the creative process. It's having blockers that you need to work around. And I think, you know, we're so re- like government and big business is so reluctant to, to draw those lines in the sand to go, okay, we now need to work around this problem. Stop doing something. What, what was your vision uh, early on and what is it today? Pretty similar. I mean, I, I guess we saw our role is to really um, – remove the social license for single use. And I think going back to your question about why we're still on carts, like carts are the ones, like carts are a huge part of most big businesses, convenience businesses' footprint more than any other item of packaging. And also they're the one that really is unnecessary. Like if you want to make a sandwich and you need to um, store it for an amount of time, like there's some sense in having it in a sealed container of some sort, whereas cups, you know, that you could just you can use a reusable cup pretty easily. So, um, yeah, what drives us is the social license. But I think we now need to really, um, and and also for us, having worked in the cafe industry and worked behind the coffee machine and, and knowing you know the margins in those industries, we've always sort of walked a bit of a line there because we know how important that takeaway business is for. for for cafes to survive. So we've sort of walked a line and not really gone hard on, you know, banning single use. But I think now is the time to really try and use our platform a bit more sharply to, mm. to try and drive, drive, I guess, ultimately legislative action. Mm. There's, a, there's a coffee shop near me in Ranwick in the eastern suburbs that uh, opened a little while ago. I think it's called Cat and Cow. Um, and they have just banned coffee cups they, they only allow you to drink on the other bring in your reusable cup or have it on site yeah which is a uh, even though i believe in sustainability sometimes when you're walking around and you and you just uh, it's the convenience isn't it and you go i'm with the dogs i, I forgot my cup um it's it just you know there's there's barriers which shouldn't be it's, it's i don't know it must be the way that we're wired there must be something psychological in how us humans just focus on that that convenience and um, you think, or do you think it's cultural? Like the other, my, my other um, before we started, I read Jared Diamond's book Collapse: How Societies Collapse, mm-hmm. and he analyzes like the Greenlanders and the Mayans and all these societies that collapsed. And by and large, often it's because of some cultural norms that they just would not overcome in the face of 
certain demise. So, for example, in Greenland, the north went across and they like to eat chicken and cows and all the Inuit were eating whales and fish and they just wouldn't eat those they, they wouldn't eat those animals and they had bought their chickens and cows which died and then they all died. So there's sort of, there's sometimes it's, I think it's cultural norms. Like these are mm. things that we've come to expect that, that, that are just made up. Like mm. could be something else. Yeah. yeah interesting. Like, do you have to have your coffee while you're walking the dog or could you sit, oh, like, know. you know, in our mind we go, oh, I need to have my coffee while I'm walking the dog. But do you? Like what's driving that really? Well, I think that, Modern society is has been maybe COVID slowed us down a bit, but running at this ridiculous pace, mm. and there there has been very little time to slow down and actually enjoy, smell the coffee and enjoy it. Um, I was in Rome recently, and I walked into a coffee shop and I said, "Can I get a?" I tried to say, "Can I get a espresso takeaway?" <laughs> and they just looked at me, going, "Why?" <laughs> like, I mean, what do you mean, why? Um, and <laughs> I was like, I looked around, there's a whole bunch of people sitting there, old guys and women having a chat and going, God, what a lazy bunch of, no. Um, you know, just look at that going, wow, what a difference. And they kind of yeah. put it in a paper cup and they wrapped it in some little tissue and put little, you know, twists on it. <laughs> I was like, wow, oh my God, <laughs> this is the first takeaway cup in Rome. Um, but I shouldn't have taken it away. I said, oh, forget it. I'll have it here. Um, well, I probably ordered something else instead because my, my Italian's not very good. But it's culturally too. It just felt like, wow, their culture yeah. was actually about sitting down. A coffee is a, is a break, not just a, yeah, not right. just consumption. Yeah. Um, I think we need to, I think, I mean, we certainly have been uh, with my family re-looking re at how we live. Our home has new meaning today with, through COVID, I think. We've kind of yeah. been forced to uh, slow down. We've been forced to stay home more than previously. Um, our home is no longer just a place to sleep and eat and take off to somewhere else. And, you know, it took, it was quite a painful readjustment. <laughs> but, but now you actually love, learn to love time and learn to um, slow time and, and understand the value in, in that, I guess, nurturing yourself. Um, which really, I think, I mean, when you talk about, I mean, a coffee cup is a, is a, is a vessel, um, but it's the content that you put in it that is either nourishing, it's going to be good for you or bad for you or, or whatever. Um, it's funny that we all drink this brown liquid. <laughs> you know, we all, I have black coffee and I, you know, it's like when I first started beer when I was younger, I hated the taste of beer, but I grew to love the taste of beer. It's a bit like coffee. Um, yeah. You know, uh, when you're young, you have like a latte with you know with milk and sugar, and it's kind of sweet and it tastes amazing. And then, I don't know, I'm drinking black coffee now, and I'm still drinking it. Going, hmm, I don't know why I'm drinking it. <laughs> you know what? It's this, it's this, it's this ritual. It's like you know people queue up for it every day. And yeah, it, what is it? Is it social thing? Is it is it interaction with others? Is it uh, is it a real need? Does it really give you that kick that you know it, you think it does, or, or what is it? I think it's a combination of all. I think people genuinely love the, the taste of it and the feeling that they get from it, the buzz they get from it. But I think it's also the ritual like the ritual of it is um, really important. And then, the, yeah, the social aspect of it. I mean, I always feel it was a joke that it was sort of to become the cigarette break. Like people stopped going out for mm. cigarette breaks. Now they go for coffee breaks. But it's just this, it's a coming together. Yeah. Um, and why do you think tea hasn't had that same like in England tea is probably bigger than coffee or maybe not today mm -hmm. but tea is very much part of the uh, how people socialize and, and what they consume in, in the UK and in, in Australia um, seems to be far more coffee focused and tea doesn't seem to have that same desire I, it might be I mean probably the, I think the taste and the, the caffeine and all that is one thing but probably the, the ritual is like it's the ritual of the coffee and the coffee making and the skill of the barista and Mm. You know, the sense being part of community, all those things are, are not sure. I mean, you can go sit in a tea ceremony, but I'm not sure. And also, tea, I guess maybe people think of tea as slowing down, or coffee sort of energising you to move forward. I'm not sure. Mm. Interesting. Have you got any records around who bought your first um, cup and are they still using it today? I wish I did. We just sort of, I know 
focused on that probably as much as I should because we're so thrilled. But I do remember we got an editorial piece in, um, I think it was the Australian magazine before we went to, like before we did the design market or it must have been the day we were doing it. And a woman, there must have been a number on it and I was driving in the car and a woman called me up and she said, I'm a nurse. And she goes, I see so much waste every day in the hospital and this is one thing I can do to reuse. Like so much waste in the hospital is necessary. Mm. Um, this is one thing I can do. I thought, gosh, that's, yeah, amazing. Mm. So she was the first, she was the first one I, person I spoke to who was an individual buying, buying keep cups. Mm. B Corp. Tell us about B Corp. We've 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 just re uh, we submitted for B Corp, which has taken us about uh, feels like ten years, but it um, took <laughs> probably took us uh, I don't know, it was well over a year, pretty solidly um, changing the business, adjusting, doing new policies, etc., to enable us to uh, at least submit. We haven't qualified yet, but I hope we do. Um, why did yes. you sign up for B Corp? And what so is B Corp? So we signed up. So B Corp is. Um, a certification from an independent body that says, um, well, I guess it's based on the, you know, going against Friedman saying that the businesses are just there for shareholders and saying that the, the stakeholders in a business are the community it operates in, the staff, um, having transparency over what you do and it, your impact on the environment. And all those things are what makes a, a good business. So that's the certification is, is criteria against all those factors. Mm-hmm. And for Cup, we, um, you know, people would call up and say, do you have fair trade certification? You know, we're a business who's there for sustain- sustainability is our reason for being. And then people call up, well, how do you prove that? Like, are you um, certified fair trade? And we're like, no, that's got nothing to do with us. Are you organic? We're like, no, we're plastic. So we're not organic. So people wanted some external evidence that we were who we said we were. So B Corp seemed to kick always boxes for us. So we were one of the founding B Corps in Australia. Mm. Um, Amazing. When was that? Many years ago. Maybe 2014, 12. I can't remember. But it was pretty early, like for us, like it'd probably be different for you, but at the time, so Keep Cups was started and I just thought, I was just trying to build a solution to a problem and really thought I could do it with my left hand. And then you know, a year in, we've got 10 employees, people like, what's my career path? You know, we, we need this person. And I was, I was so naive about what mm. was needed. So for, B, for us, B Corp was like, oh, you should have an employee handbook and do you have position descriptions for all your staff and do you have, um, I don't know, can't remember something else. But it actually gave us a bit of a roadmap about how to build the business yeah. in the first place. Like some of the – and. Even now, when you go and recertify, it gives you a good idea. Like, because it's collating, I guess, all the best practice of all the businesses around the world. So you get some good ideas about how to, to shape your organisation and, and what you're doing. Yeah. And I think, I think you know, as I, I was kind of joking about how hard it was to do. But, I mean, we were in 2006, I think we were, the, we were Australia's first carbon neutral design studio. Um, and that was kind oh. of, that was ahead of, I guess um, they got all this conversation around B Corp now, but um, it's becoming the it's becoming the norm, and, and sustainability isn't just a nice to have. It's actually it should be the norm. It should be just you know be as sustainable as you possibly can as an organization. And I think yeah. you're right. Around, I mean, I was the same starting off really early on, probably thirty years ago. So you've been at it a lot less than I have, but. Um, <laughs> Same naivety, <laughs> the same naivety, the same kind of, I mean, if I'd known how hard it was then, I, I, I wouldn't have done it. Um, yeah. and it. And it just kind of has grown over time uh, through, I guess, determination, uh, blind optimism, and seeing the difference that you, you can make. And I think that it's, it's wonderful that an organization like B Corp can actually help organizations really fine-tune their businesses and, and uh and their policies and, and help them be a, a better business to enable to serve other businesses in a more a more efficient way. I mean, it was a while back that we were having clients when we talked about doing packaging or or whatever, whatever design project we're working on and doing it in a more sustainable way. I mean, often they would just say, Oh, there's no budget for that. You know, oh, no, the shareholders don't want that. And now, as I said or I think earlier on, is that we're inundated with people who are going help us be more sustainable, help us do the right thing. Yeah. 
what should we be doing? Um, so even the big organizations that were previously kind of just seeing that as a, a trend or something that might pass have realized, and I think that the, the fires and climate change, et cetera, has made a big uh, impact on the seriousness of that and the emphasis on doing so now. So it's, it's, it's so reassuring to see um, that happening. And thankfully, you've led the way uh, with, what, with what you're doing. And you're also opening in, have you, have you got offices uh, around the world as well? So we have got office, we've got an office in London and we did have an office in LA, but um, we, I shut that down in March at the start of the pandemic. We were just about to find a new lease and I was like, oh. And did you have a lot of consumption in the UK, a lot of um, cups being sold there? Yeah, but, I mean, we, my um, younger brother started, helped us start that business right in the early days, so right at sort of ground zero of the London independent coffee scene. So we've grown with, with, that, with that, with the independent co- coffee groups. Mm. And, I, and there's real, I mean, there's real momentum in the UK. Like they're, they're proposing to ban, I think they're banning single-use cups in Ireland and um, Scotland. There's proposals to do that. Mm. Um, it's similar with um, bottled water, isn't it? Some some countries, I think California's banned plastic bottles. Venice and other places. And bottled water. So that, that's, I remember my boss saying that to me back in it, like bottled water. And I'm like, who's going to pay for that? Like, why would you buy bottled water when you could get it from a tap? Yeah. <laughs> Couldn't be more wrong. I mean, it's just, you know, you heard that chart we're going China, the first, the richest guy in China sells bottled water. Yeah. Just Yeah, yeah. I remember living back in the UK. Uh, I've been in Australia now for about 18 years. But back in London, there, there wasn't bottled water. And then all of a sudden on the news was every glass of water you drink from your tap has been through seven people. <laughs> and I'm like, holy crap, I'm not drinking that again. <laughs> um, and that maybe that was the truth or maybe that was just a marketing scam. Um, but it certainly, you know, bottled water is enormous business. Yeah, but where do people think bottled water comes from? Well, exactly. But I'm not saying it's good, (laughs) but it's uh, um, it's like bottled air, isn't it? It's ridiculous. Um, So you haven't haven't ventured into other vessels for carrying other other liquids? Not yet. Not yet? Okay. Not yet. Still got so much work. Still got so much work to do with the coffee cup. Yeah, yeah. You know, after ten years, I'm not sure. I'm not sure how much of a dent you've made. Well, I think you made a significant dent. I think interesting <laughs> too, looking at your your website and looking at the the variety too. It's really cool how you keep um, you keep relevant. I guess you follow trends or with the materials and colors, etc. Is that right? Yes, we do. But, I mean, for us, well, I mean, I guess it's a journey of our understanding as well. So when we started, like, plastic was um, the easiest to get off the ground. Like, the minimum quantities were the lowest. So we knew, we could, like, we looked at glass and we looked at steel, but the minimum quantities were, like, beyond what we thought we could do. So we did plastic, and also we thought that plastic was recyclable. Like, we thought that if we got, you know, we were all putting plastic in our recycling bin, so we assumed that it would it was the most, circular of all the materials whereas now we're just finding out that only 9% of all plastic ever made has been recycled and you can only recycle it like two or three times Mm. so yeah so we did that and then we moved to glass because we knew that was a more premium um, and from a you know beverage experience that was probably the the, the best material and then um, we moved into steel because some of the countries like we're in Canada or we're in Scandinavia and they're like it's minus four degrees, we need more insulation in the product. So mm. yeah, it is stainless steel. So it's more about I guess things finding fit for making it fit for purpose. So also like with the plastic, we we deliberately modelled it as close to a disposable cup as we possibly could in its um, usage experience, how it worked behind the machine. You know the press-on lid, so we so we modelled it so the 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 behaviour change was really small in in some respect in in the product. You like you didn't need to screw it on, you didn't need to put it in the you know you can mm. put it in the dishwasher. So we tried to make it really easy, so that the the pathway in was easy, and then that's changed as people have got more 
um, accepting of reuse as a as a thing to do, then mm-hmm. you can become a little bit more sophisticated in in how how that happens and, and what you expect people to do with the product. And did you work with local designers for that for the design of the cup itself? Yes, yes. So I walked in with my beautiful hand hand sketch of <laughs> what I thought it should be, mm-hmm. and I'm pleased to say it's been vastly improved from that. So yes. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's very similar to, you know, working with you guys like in design. Like it's all those, you bring your commercial knowledge and your um, understanding of the industry and the customer experience and then you work through a series of trade-offs. Well, if you want this, you can't have this and, you know, and get to get to a good place. So it's always good when you can, like we've worked with Cobalt um, since the start, like for what, 12 years now. And it's always good because, you know, they've got some good, baked-in knowledge of, of what works and what doesn't. And we have good conversations about how things should be. Like they, they bring their, their expertise and we bring ours. What about uh, how you live your life generally? Um, how sustainable are you as a person around your own wellness or you know, how, how you approach, you know, I guess, every aspect? Is this something you fanatical about this across your whole life? Uh, not fanatical, but there are lots of things I try and do. So, um, big, com- big on composting. Mm-hmm. Um, my daughter's got a vegetable garden out the back that she supplies some of our vegetable and vegetable needs. Cool. Um, very lean on meat eating. What else? Uh, drive electric car, have solar on the roof everywhere. So, in, at home, at work. Yeah, and then trying to I do I am a lover I am a lover of fashion, but I've really tried to stop. I mean, I, I went to a talk and a guy said you've probably got enough clothes in your cupboard to last you to the end of your life. <laughs> I was like, oh my god, it's so true. Yeah. So so really trying to minimise that. Yeah. And then I yeah I did a big cupboard clean out in the in, in the lockdown and um it was a a consignment company around the corner that takes clothes and sells them on consignment. So I've pushed a lot of my old. I had kept a lot of stuff um, for my daughter, but she's now a lot taller than me. And, um, oh. So some of it I can. Um, so all those vegetables. I've moved, I've moved on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Better, hope she, better hope she's growing vegetables. You want to check that? <laughs> <laughs> oh, dying. Yeah. Um, it's funny. I just when you're talking like that, I just was thinking about Ronnie Khan, who's a really good friend uh, and obviously the founder of Oz Harvest. And sometimes her and I go out for a lunch or or for coffee or whatever. And and, and when she orders her food, I can just see her just thinking, "Oh my god, please don't have a huge, please don't let it be a huge mound," you know. And <laughs> <laughs> when it is, when it turns up and it's the size of a meal, I can just see her going, "Oh my god," and I guess yeah. and it's because people are watching her. Um, she has to set the example. She she's a yeah. huge advocate of 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 minimizing waste and and reuse, um, redistribution, etc. So I see her. <laughs> I, I scoff mine down, no problem at all. Um, but I watch her. <laughs> I watch her struggling with the last kind of mouthfuls, thinking, "Oh, poor oh. thing." <laughs> um, I should just help her out and eat it, but I don't. But um, <laughs> I guess I guess when you're doing something like you're doing, people would be possibly watching to make sure how 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 legit it is and how how you approach your life in, in general. And I'm something I'm very conscious of too, uh, with our business around wanting to design a better world and all our values is actually living up to them. Um, yeah. And it's But I think you also hard. don't want to be you don't want to be so holier than now that people can't act like, you know, I've been always very careful not to you know, you, you want to be inclusive. Like you don't want to make it sustainability thing like some club that you have to do certain things to join. Like everyone, everyone can do something. Yeah. Well, let's just talk about that because that'd be a nice way to end the podcast. Just talking about what can one do. Um, have you got three points or five points or or one point? What, what <laughs> something that we can leave people with that are that are fairly doable um, that they can apply to their life. About rethinking, you know, we we need to dematerialize what we're doing so that you cannot buy your way. There's no such thing as a sustainable material. There's a material that's fit for purpose and products that are fit for purpose or services that are fit for purpose. So it's, it's thinking about it in that context rather than purchasing our way. I mean, hyper consumption is probably one of the 
the biggest issues. Like how do we, like it's about reducing consumption in, in every part of our lives that we can. And I think, um, I, well, I suppose right at this moment, I would say if you've got some time, be writing to government because, you know, it's government. I heard this podcast where um, it was an interview with Kevin Rudd and he said that Obama had privately given him the greatest compliment that he was too far ahead of the curve and he made no apologies for that. Mm. And I was like, you fool. Like, you're supposed to be ahead of the curve. You were the prime minister of the country. Yeah. But the trick is you've got to bring us with you. Like, you've got to mm. you've got to set a vision and then bring people along with you. And mm. there's a real lack all over the world at the minute, of, and particularly in Australia, of people setting a vision. Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, taking action with pen to paper or, you know, making it clear what, what you'd like to see um, or as a vision for Australia or anywhere around the world is, is really important, like using our democratic rights actively. Well, that's brilliant. And I love that um, dematerialise. I think that as designers, designers listening in, need to think about that with every single project that they're working on now. Um, mm-hmm. Think about how, how, how they could reduce the material that they're recommending um, and use materials that are fit for purpose too. Reduce embellishments, reduce excess and learn and design to- for long life, like long life and repair. Like if, at end of life, what's going to happen to this thing? Can it be repaired? Can it be repurposed? Like it's keeping things in play for as long as we possibly can. Have you designed your life? I met me and my daughter nearly had an argument. I told her about this question on the on the drive in the car the other day. She's like, "What? That's ridiculous! Designing your life." <laughs> <laughs> and I, I, do, I don't like the sound do, of her. <laughs> I do. I do. Teenage Abby sort of could understand that sort of sense of you know, like the this, is there something disingenuous about crafting something? But you know, I, I think. You do design your life, whether, whether by design or by accident, you're designing your life, aren't you? Like every decision you make, and sometimes you don't realise the impact of some of the decisions you make, but they are. And if, the, if designing is to designate meaning, then yeah. I think I've probably worked hardest at designing meaning into my life than, than right. any particular act. Yeah, 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 that's good. Yeah. I mean, like, we're talking about business being hard. Life, it can be incredibly hard as well. And knowing what is the oh, right yeah. thing and not the right thing to do, and 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 I think as well for people in business, it's well anyway. It's, it's where to put your energy. Mm. You know, I often say when I'm when I'm really good at running keep up, I'm a really crap mother or wife. And when I'm a really good mother or wife, keep up sort of takes the slide. It's very difficult to get all those things, all those balls juggle with the same consistency. Mm. Do you find you're getting? But better? I think if I've got. Well, I think as I've got older, I've just been more forgiving of that in myself and others. Like, you know, things do ebb and flow and mm-hmm. you, you, you're not, you know, probably I'm not particularly consistent by nature in the first place. So I need to forgive myself for that and then, and then just work at, you know, gently improving things. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Well, I guess it's where you put your energy, isn't it? I mean, you can't put all of your energy across everything I find that hard yeah. too. I find that I need to at times elevate my energy into one, into a certain area to enable me to get focus and get things done. And I guess something has to give uh, by doing so. Um, often people's health gives because they're just giving out all the time and not focusing on their own well-being. Um, and it becomes a bit of a an obsession, doesn't it? Business or what you have to do, raising a family, etc., can take a lot of your time and energy. And often people put themselves, you know, at the back of the at the back of the queue. Um, but I do think that certainly I've experienced that over years of trial and error, just like focusing on keeping maintaining some kind of fittish type kind of help health uh, does make a difference in terms of being able to uh, stay stronger than previously. If you run yourself dry drink too much coffee, drink too much booze, whatever it might be, not eat the right things, not exercise enough, it starts to kind of take its toll. So we talk about kind of, mm-hmm. I guess, um, being fit for purpose uh, in yourself as well as, as obviously <laughs> an ideal scenario. Yeah. 
Yeah, I totally. I mean, in the in this like I've started running for the first time. In, I don't know. I done. I started yoga before the lockdown. Now I've been running in this lockdown. See, I've enjoyed it. Oh, and cool. I used to run with music, and that I found that a bit jarring. I love dancing, so it was a bit jarring. But now I run and listen to podcasts, and I I love it. It's just such a nice time just to, you know, have a bit of a ponder about things. Yeah, yeah, it's your it's your time, isn't it? Mm. I just crank up the Paul Weller. I play the same track oh, every time Paul I go. Weller. Yeah, <laughs> I need that. Uh, uh. Uh. Not not Eye of the Tiger or nothing like that, but but I need that kind of like something bit kind of strong beat and a bit You're of You're the best thing. Oh, God, yeah. Still, it still makes yeah. you want to cry every time you hear that one. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but anyways, I think it's uh, – what, what I get reassured by, and I've said this many times now, it's just wonderful to talk to people like you who are, who are a human being just trying to do your best, you know, trying to make a difference, mm-hmm. trying to fix a – Fix a problem and fill a need, and 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 shift, um, you know, shift things. And I and I and I really want to congratulate you for all those years of you you've put that effort in and the difference you're making. You probably don't. I mean, it's often people don't realize how how important uh, uh, how important what they're doing in the world um, to others. I just want to acknowledge that. Thanks, Finn. Very kind. That's cool. All right. Um, what are you going to do today? Going for a run? <laughs> yeah, I'm going to go for a run today. And what else am I going to do today? Oh, we're trying. We're trying to get a B two B website launched, and we're right in the neck of the bottle. So. <laughs> oh dear, that's not yeah. enjoyable, oh, is it? It's not enjoyable, but it's you know it's particularly tough for the team all in lockdown as well. I think it's all it's all pressure and no relief at the moment. But, mm. but we'll get there. Yeah, I wish you the best of luck with that. Give us a shout if you need a hand. Um, I will. <laughs> lovely lovely ch- chatting with you, Abby. Thank you. Yeah, nice to talk to you, Vince. All right, take bye. care. Bye. Bye. Thank you all for listening. If you want to find out more about Designing Your Life, head over to our website at designyourlife.com.au or on our social media at Frost Collective. If you enjoyed this episode and found it inspiring, please don't forget to review or subscribe.